Hello, and welcome to the Spoonie Authors Podcast, a podcast where we explore a different disabled author's stories each week. I'm your host, Diana Gunn, and joining us today is A.N. Mouse. A.N. Mouse lives in Milwaukee and works at a local game store. While dealing with his health sometimes makes it hard, he likes going for walks and daydreaming new stories that he can then procrastinate on writing something we have in common uh <laughs> he has <laughs> released four solo books co-authored a fifth and is currently working on his sixth novel heart thief hello hi it nice is you yeah it is super great to have you on here i must say i'm loving the art in your background uh, <laughs> you can thank mr ace layton for that one very nice. And that is one of the people that you work with in your author collective, correct? Yes. Yes. I work with him and I married him. Whoa. Um, <laughs> so he. Oh, you cut out for a moment there. What? Oh, now you're back. That was really weird. Apparently you're not allowed to say nice things about your partner. Um, I suppose not. Because I didn't hear anything past I married him. <laughs> um, I'm being oppressed by Skype. Um, I just want to tell you, I no, I was trying to shift blame. Truthfully, oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Overwatch was his um, passion for its visual design before it became mine. But we're happy to have the poster. Awesome. So, tell us about this new book you are working on, Heart Thief. Okay, so Heart Thief is a fantasy romance novel, and it's about a rebellion struggling um, to overthrow a god king. Um, and that is not an easy task. Um, it is made harder by the fact that they understand the consequences of toppling a ruler and are trying to do so with as little trauma and bloodshed to the country as they can. Good um, luck with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're really... They're very nice people, and the fact that they are nice is working heavily to their detriment. <laughs> um, the story follows two main characters. It follows Ophi and Rowan. Um, Ophi is a thief and an archer, and he's very good at both of those things, despite struggling with a chronic knee injury. Um, Rowan's skills are way more spoilery, and I'm not getting into them, but needless to say that they make for trouble for the Rebellion itself and for their... Um, relationship together. Um, so she's and, like an arsonist or something is what I'm getting out of that. Based on, you know, the thing they're trying to do is minimal bloodshed. I'm assuming that her skills involves maximal bloodshed. <laughs> That's just the I impression already wrote the arsonist book. It's called oh. Ashen Path. Okay, I will keep that in mind next time I really need to read about something being set on fire. Um <laughs> Um, Rowan is a very nice boy. Um, he just has a very complicated skill set. So that will be discussed. Awesome. And what inspired you to create this particular story with minimal arson? <laughs> I'm not going to promise no arson, but there's less arson. Okay. Um, so this as with all of my work it kind of ends up being a group effort um i think the discussion originally happened with um jackie martini um 
who is an author that I work with a lot and who is really good at teasing out the best parts of ideas. And I think we were just talking about stuff and things and um, they accidentally gave me an idea for a whole novel. Um, and then I do what I always do where I take that idea and I sit down with Ace and I make him help me make it make sense um, because he's very good at that. Um, so I worked on this with the both of them um, and I didn't intend to write a story where the focus was somebody struggling with chronic pain. Um, that wasn't what I sat down to do. I sat down to write a story, um, which, which is Rowan's story more than Ophie's, where he's dealing with um, the trauma that got him into the circumstance and the repercussions of that. That I get to focus on chronic pain and my experiences of chronic pain is kind of a happy accident because I haven't done that in my work before. Awesome. <clears throat> I must say, um, the whole idea of a, a partnership where what writers, where writers are married to each other and write together, has always sounded incredibly overwhelming to me. <laughs> um, Ace and I have worked together for like fifteen years. Wow. Um, we've been friends for a really long time. Um, we've had profound impacts on each other's work and it's not just us um jackie martini and i have had like a great impact um their book is not out yet um but they've been working on it and i've been doing my best to help um and we get to work with all kinds of other really interesting passionate creators um and i just um uh, writing is hard and kind of lonely and it's nice to have friends, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is totally fair. So back to the story. Um, Ophi has a chronic knee injury, and you've already touched on the fact that you also deal with chronic pain. So how were his experiences informed by your own personal experience with disability? So Ophi and I struggle with different types of chronic pain um, in that he has a physical injury that happened to him um, that continues to cause him problems even as an adult. Um, and mine are degenerative, so mine are the opposite timeline. Um, but the thing that we have in common is that we're both really stubborn. <laughs> um, and we both, for good or bad, hold our goals to a higher priority than ourselves. Um, so his story calls back to a time when I didn't have the stability to put my health before my paycheck. Um, and that the results of that, as you can guess, were like, not good. <laughs> I do not recommend it. Um, but it was a lot of what he does was informed by those experiences and of the having to push through. And he struggles a lot with being able to stop that um, with taking time for himself and for his needs without feeling guilty about what his other team members can accomplish while he's uh, recovering. Um, it's a hard thing for him to learn to pace himself and it's something I'm still struggling with. So that was um, something that came directly from my own experiences when writing him. Yeah, that is uh, really important, I think, especially in the context of our modern capitalist hellscape. Uh, <laughs> what? Right. Uh, um, 
it's it's so hard not just for me but for anyone who is living paycheck to paycheck to put any time into the recovery that you need exactly Um, it can be just impossible and you pay for it later yep absolutely and there's such huge pressure to not just work 40 hours a week but to be working more and doing more all of the time and when you can't even work 40 hours a week that's not great for your self-esteem it's not it really wears down at you having to step back from that while you get to watch other people who don't have those struggles um so yeah that was that was a thing Uh, So did you find that writing this experience was cathartic for you, that it helped you process your own experiences? The short answer is yes. Um, (laughs) The slightly longer answer is I'm still processing. Um, I know that I'm in a better situation now and that I don't have to live that lifestyle anymore. Um, But it's very hard to break away from those habits. Um, you feel not only pressure to perform, um, but pressure to be okay and to do the things that your friends, that your coworkers, that your bosses want. Um, and it's hard not being able to meet those expectations and that still bothers me. Um, but in Heart Thief, Ophi gets better about these things. He has support from his friends, um, from his lover, from his community, um, that let him make progress and let him try to learn those things. So I'm hopeful that I can get better with them too. Yeah. I think that that's definitely another thing, you know, sometimes it's catharsis, sometimes it's processing, but sometimes it's, you know, writing a character that is where we want to be or that gets to where we want to be, even when we're still struggling is sort of as a way of telling ourselves that yes, it is actually possible. A lot of the characters I write are, where I want to be, whether that's someone dealing with chronic pain or someone recovering from trauma, um, because it's heartening to see someone make that success. Um, and I want to make that success. Um, so we're all going to work on it together. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about some of your other work and how you've dealt with trauma across your body of work? Um, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> What I'm trying to do is, like, line up works that specifically deal with trauma. So I'm going to narrow it down to um, the Melancholia Project um, and to Lost Names. Um, So the Melancholia Project deals with a world um, where monster attacks happen at random. um, And people who are at the end of their rope sign up for what's called nightmare hunting. Um... And it's their job to try and defend the city from these monsters. Um, The world is very bleak. Um, Survival is very difficult. Um, But the focus on the story is about community and it's about platonic love and it's about working through those things. But a lot of characters are touched by these things that happen to them. Um, And a lot of them deal with that in different ways. Um, And one of my ways of examining that was what do you do when your response to trauma is negative? Um, and how do you make peace with that once you start unlearning those behaviors? Um, because that's the story of one of the characters who isn't a deeply evil person, um, but who makes bad and selfish choices um, because of their unhappiness and then realizes that what they've been doing isn't helping them. 
um, and is wrong and is hurting somebody they care about. Um, and they make the decision to not be that person anymore. And it's difficult because those are not easy habits to let go of. Um, Lost Names um, deals with one of the characters specifically um, having trauma from their past um, and how the other characters on his team come together to help him cope with that. And I used it to examine different ways of relating to people because no one person can help you solve all of your problems. Um, it's great to have support, but no one will fix it for you. So I really wanted to look at the different things our friends and family um, can give us and how we can be appreciative of those things. Yeah. And do you find that working within these fantastical and very different settings helps you tackle these issues? Does it give you a, a level of distance that is useful to you? I don't usually consciously associate what I'm doing with my setting with what I'm doing with the story. Usually those things happen kind of on their own and they grow together. Hmm. But one of the things that I did discover is that um, I use setting for a lot of atmosphere. Um, and atmosphere helps me shape the tone, the way those issues are handled. Um, well, Ashen Path um, is a much calmer, cheerful, warmer, better, healthier setting than Melancholia. Um, and it's the tone of the story is different. There's still people struggling. There's still people trying to handle things that they've been through. Um, but the overall idea is a lot more evidently hopeful. You don't have to dig for it as hard. Um, I generally think that I like... I write, like, the same three ideas, <laughs> and I dress them in different scenarios, <laughs> because I'm a fanfic writer at heart, is what I am. Um, so setting helps me, I think, accentuate certain parts of those things, um, but I don't normally figure that out until I'm, like, three-quarters of the way through. Makes sense. I am also a fanfic writer at heart. Um... I think that fanfic is honestly one of the best ways to practice as a writer. We do a lot of panels at conventions, and a lot of people who attend our panels on writing are fanfic writers. Um, and if somebody wants to complain to me about fanfic writing, um, I will meet them outside and send them to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to talk. It's fine. I just want to talk. Um, it's like... There are classics that are held up today that are fanfiction. Um, the Divine Comedy is Bible fanfic. Um, a lot of Shakespeare's work pulls from folklore um, and from passed down stories. Um, we like examining ideas. We like examining ideas using tools that are familiar to us. There's literally no downside to fanfiction at all. Yeah, I honestly think a lot of the dislike and disdain for fanfiction just comes out of an association of fanfiction with, frankly, Harry Potter and teenage girls. Just because I feel uh, like for a lot of people, when Harry Potter fandom became a thing is when they sort of, like, fanfiction was put on the map in a different way. <laughs> and with fanfiction.net, which apparently doesn't even, like, exist anymore. <laughs> people can chill and let people like stuff. Like, 
I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, Harry Potter fanfiction never hurt you? Uh, like, speak I for mean, yourself. <laughs> never hurt you more than any other fiction specifically. It certainly you. didn't hurt me more than Harry Potter itself did. Um... <laughs> but fanfiction gives you a chance to zero in on those moments and to work through them yourself and to examine um, ideas that might be too painful for a story itself, like for a novel or a series. Um, those short insights into the way that we handle unhappiness, that we handle grief, um, are really important, both as like writers and as readers. So, yes, fan fiction's important, and it's important to cry about it. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Now I'm just thinking back on the days. But I haven't done fanfiction in years because I'm so hyper-focused on my original stories now, and I'm... I have... Every once in a blue moon, I will write something um, that's not original fiction. And I have these poor people on AO3, and I haven't updated in, like, years. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. Uh, I haven't <laughs> even... I haven't written fanfiction in so long that I've never posted on AO3. I actually had to look this up at some point last year when somebody was like, something, something, because I was like, what is AO3? Just because I actually used to, I did have a fanfiction.net account for anyone else who remembers that, but I actually used to mostly consume fanfiction on this super exclusive, super private, totally not safe for work uh, Harry Potter specific archive uh, called Ashwinder, which I looked it up recently and it still exists. I guess people don't really use it anymore, but people still want the stories to be up. So when I looked it up, there was just a thing on the page that said, we asked for donations to keep the site running and people paid for the site for like three years. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was always more into that little nested fan fiction community. I do think that there's a lot of there was at least a lot of trash on fanfiction.net. I don't know how it is on AO3. Like, a lot um, of trashy I'm a professional, people. I'm a professional trash writer. Um, <laughs> so you so write soap operas? I was referring more to not safe for work content. Um, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. There's To me, there's pretty much zero shame in any of that. It's all putting words together. It's all trying to evoke an emotional response. Um whether it's doing that using somebody else's sandbox or your own, uh, our goal is always the same. Yeah, and the reality is that even if the first thing you write is original fiction, it's still going to be trash. We're all trash writers the at the beginning. The first thing you write of anything is always trash. Exactly. Always. It's a... You have to suck before you can not suck. Yeah, and I think that people get down on fanfiction because people are posting trash fanfiction actually you know online in a way that isn't done as much with original fiction so you see more of that stuff and i think part of that is because people tend to write fan fiction under pen names and they don't feel as it doesn't feel as heart-wrenching when someone disses your fan fiction as it does when someone disses your original fiction at least in my experience <laughs> I think some of it is, too, is a lot of people get into writing fan fiction when they're younger, and they don't have as many miles under their belt, writing-wise. Um, or life-wise. Yeah, yeah, they just don't have, like, all the context for all these ideas. Also, um, as you... I'm still someone who consumes fan fiction voraciously. 
Um, and as you grow as a reader, you know how to look at things and sort them better because you're used to the language people use to categorize their stories and the way they describe them. So I don't see bad stories because I know unconsciously what the signs are and I skip past them and don't even think about it. Whereas someone who's unfamiliar with that could pull up like the first hundred and be like, half of these are garbage. And I'd be like, they are, but that's like, but you can tell before you go into them. You can pick up a book and read the back of it and be like, hmm, I don't think an editor even looked at this. Um, <laughs> but those skills don't always translate exactly to when you're looking at things online because the parlance is a little different. We describe things a little bit differently online. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, uh, let's <laughs> draw this back to on topic, although this conversation is uh, fascinating. There's definitely a lot to unpack around fan fiction. Um, but bringing things back, so <clears throat> you are currently writing a disabled character, which I'm sure has gotten you thinking a lot about disability representation and how to handle it and how it is handled. So can you speak a bit to what you see in the state of disability representation in the media right now and how you would like to see that change over the next few years? I... And I'm sure you probably have this issue as well, is when you're focused on creating a thing, you don't always have the time budget to consume as many things as you would like. Um, so I can't promise to be especially keyed in um, to disability representation at large. I can only speak from the little portion of media I manage to consume in my free time. Um, but um, this might be the circles I travel in specifically, or um, it might be be indicative of a larger trend. Um, I don't see disability discussed as often as I see other marginalizations discussed. Um, and that's really all that I want. Um, disability exists in the world. Um, it happens in a lot of people. And if you're not part of those communities, you may not be aware how many people it actually affects. But it's like anything else. It exists. We live with it around us. Um, and in order to make your characters and your world and your writing more reflective of our reality, it's something to consider. Um, and we have these discussions about all kinds of other um, identities in the world. Um, you don't necessarily need to write those things, to include those things in your writing, um, but you should be thinking about it. It should be part of the discussions that we're having when we talk about um, how to make our worlds more nuanced, how to make our characters um, more realistic, because these things are real. Um, and this comes with the usual catch of, if you're writing an experience that isn't yours, do your research, talk about that experience. Like, I'm not going to go into all of that, because we should know by now. We've had these discussions, <laughs> know this thing. Um, so I'm saying, I just want to see writers engaging with this material, um, and having it be something that they go through when they're thinking about their world, they think about um, how does it accommodate or not accommodate people with specific disabilities, um, what are the social reactions to these things, um, do my characters, um, would they, could they, should they have um, these challenges to face? Um, like I said with Ophi, I didn't set out to write someone with a disability, um, but I went through his story and his experiences and the way that he was hurt 
um, and the way that it was handled after. And I was like, there's no way. Like, this is something he's going to struggle with for the rest of his life. How does that impact him? Um, and then that became a significant and organic part of the story itself. Um, so, yeah, that's my goal is just to make that be a natural part of the discussions we have about creation. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that uh, disability representation has not been topical in the way that representation of other marginalized groups has in the last five years or so. Um, and you don't, no one who's working on a project needs to change to accommodate these ideas. It should just be something that you consider as a creator going forward. Like, we all grow and learn new things about the world and incorporate new things into our work all the time. Um, and this should be no different than that, really. Exactly. You know, one big shift that I made was when I was a kid, I started writing, like, I wrote my first book when I was, like, 11. Uh, and, you know, as a kid, I just sort of defaulted all my characters to, you know, cisgender straight people. I never really thought about it in my first couple of books. But now, whenever I'm creating characters, you know, I have the gender and sexuality as slots in my character profiles. You know, I will actually start, I usually just put the slot there and put unknown for the beginning and actually feel out the character before those decisions are made. And I think if writers were to do the same sort of thing for disability, I think that would be really powerful. I think that's sort of what you're getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Because you will still end up with cisgendered straight characters. Because, like, speaking as a queer author, um, I still end up with cisgendered <laughs> characters. Like, I still write them. Um, but you want it to be considered rather than just not considered. Yeah, exactly. It's not that it will create some huge change um, in the world of literature at large. It's just that it can make a personal change in your own work. It just means you're engaging more deeply with the things you're making. And that's good. That's excellent. Exactly. And I feel like it's also, it gives characters more room to become the authentic people that we're trying to make them. Yeah. It is another, it's impossible to break a person down into all the thousands of facets that make a whole person. But this is one more element of a person to consider. Um, and the more elements that we can think of when thinking of our people, the better. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for this insightful conversation. It has been lovely to talk to you. Where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Uh, this has been an excellent discussion, and I am so thankful <laughs> to have been invited by you um, to talk with you about these things. Uh, it's been, this is like a wonderful part of my day. Um, you can find me and the rest of Words After Dark at, um, our website, which is words-after-dark.square.site. Um, and you can find all of our stories about dogs and murder and monster hunting and arsonists, um, and found family and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're also on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash words after dark. And that has a link to our discord, um, where people can come and hang out and say hi. Um, and you can find me personally on Twitter and on Instagram at and mouse rights. Um, 
and we also were at cons in the Midwest. Um, so you can come find us like face to face and like track us down. Um, and then we can't hide from you. Um, <laughs> but we're really like we're really pretty pretty easy to find. So please come come and say hello, everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with your coming project and good luck with con season. I know that's always a trial for every author who actually does it and especially for disabled authors. So good luck with it all. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Spoonie Authors Podcast. The Spoonie Authors Podcast is part of the Spoonie Authors Network, a community initiative devoted to sharing the stories of disabled authors and educating abled people about what life is like for disabled creatives. Transcripts of this podcast are also available on the Spoonie Authors Network. To learn more or become a contributor, visit SpoonieAuthorsNetwork.blog. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.